Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Hello again, I'm Chase, Christian brother, here with my socialist brother Cyrus. Cyrus, what's going on today? Oh, not too terribly much. Just uh, got back from work. How was the shift? Uh, it was uh, it was okay. I made some decent money. I did have an interesting uh, interaction with uh, one of our Idaho senators representatives. I, I don't know for sure what his position was, but I saw an envelope that said official government business Senator Crapo's office on the table. Ooh. And, you know, super friendly. He was great. And then he left me zero dollars for the tip. So classic Republican to uh, make sure you get paid three. I think Idaho is three thirty five an hour minimum wage. And then uh, not tipped. So, no cash on the table. No cash on the table and a line through the tip. Oh, uh, well, sir, I do know just for people thinking Cyrus might have given horrible service. Uh, <laughs> I've had a number of people slip in there, whether they know him or not, and get in his section and say that it was it was he gives rather exceptional service, makes people feel special. So I, I just because he likes he likes selling for tips. That's for sure. So that's right. Um, that's a bummer. You know what? Um if, hey. if it is, as you say, shame on Senator Crapo's representative. Hey, you know what? I made up my three seventy-five an hour wage with a couple good tips. So good. Luckily. You know what? God yeah. bless those folks. Cyrus, we have potentially some new listeners, probably in the Christian variety, listening to us. So help some people who might think that that might think socialism is crazy or evil, or they don't know a socialist. Can you real high level, man? What's why? Why are you a socialist? Can you just give us the gist? in a sentence or two? Well, gists are tough when it comes to uh, socialism, but I'll, I'll do my, my level best. And I guess what I'd probably be more expressing is really the sentiment that I, that I want people to understand, which is that I may be on the left side of the aisle um, and you are likely on the right side of the aisle. Or maybe you don't know where you are. But the reality is we're both in coach and there are people in first class or on private jets using private airports and they get everything. They are in control of everything. And we just get less and less legroom. And it doesn't really seem like we have any more saying, any saying that anymore, at least. Uh, so from my perspective, I just want to make more people see, if I can, that we're all in coach together. And the only way we're going to get any of our legroom back is if we uh, band together and knock down the pilot's door. Um, <laughs> well, we want the plane to land. Let's let's be real. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe where you have some fair criticism where the fair the normals enough. on the plane go. We need the plane to land. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't don't want to get in too many plane jacking metaphors, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean on the, on the flip side, I think you know probably those uh, more in line with my political beliefs. You know, they they might be a little uh, weirded out, so to speak, by you know you being a Christian as devout as you are you know, having certain more conservative or as they might say, reactionary political views, but I've seen you change a lot. And, you know, for, for the libertarians or more free market minded people out there, I've seen this guy read every Hayek or Smith or a Rand or 
whatever Milton book that's out there during his uh, younger years. And I've seen him, you know, come through that. And then as his faith has grown a little bit stronger, maybe something you could touch on that's changed. Yeah. I appreciate you throwing me some bona fides there. Yeah. You know what? So I, I definitely, you know, walked through my lock and Baron de Montesquieu, you know, years and two things have maybe three things have maybe really questioned my conservative free market libertarian ideology to accompany my Christian faith. One is, man, God's help and leadership getting me to more like Christ. And as I become more like Christ, I feel a little less attached to what were idols in my life, like America and like freedom and my American freedoms and a little bit more on, okay, what am I doing things in a way that is sacrificing my testimony to people? If I'm more concerned about Dr. Seuss getting canceled than Jesus in people's lives, or becoming more like Jesus, then I need to reevaluate everything else based on what's most important to me. So I think that's number one. Number two is I think your example is really good, Cyrus, about your plane. I I liked that because if you look at a board of directors voting a CEO, you know, increasing pay and, you know, the hourly wage in that company didn't really go up and the, you know, the profitability of that company's kind of stayed stagnant. You can kind of wonder like, man, gee, what's going on there? Or just some of like the real Jeff Epstein, Hillary Clinton, you know, even Donald Trump stuff that like, they're not necessarily held accountable for some of the things. And I go, wow, gee, if, if I had done that, I'd be behind bars, baby. And so that makes me feel like, you know, the people potentially in a, in a private jet aren't even abiding by some of the same laws. And so that's, and that, and I think some of the issues, and this is my third like observation over the last decade or so, a lot of issues that are both really near and dear to you and me in different ways whether they be uh, the right to life or it, whether it be um, f- you know, free trade, those are thrown at us or gun rights, right? Like those are thrown at us to divide us. And what I've seen is two groups of people sort of coaxed into voting against economic interests that are not in their best interest, like rural white folks and inner city black folks. And you know what? We've shipped jobs overseas and a lot of multinational corporations aren't paying their, their, their fair share of tax, in my opinion. And so it's made me go, oh, gee, you know, I'm a little bit more interested or a little bit more open minded. And now, but to the purpose of this podcast, Iris, I am certainly trying to share the good news about Jesus with socialists. And I know you are trying to share, you know, as you, you see the, the good news about banding together and coach with some Christians, because, you know, we think there, there should be some probably some overlap and we shouldn't do what we've done which is not talk to each other because we're so far apart politically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was, you know, the genesis of this show was us realizing some of the overlap that we had, at least in terms of our ultimate goals. And it, it kind of reminds me of uh, a story. Do you remember when we went to, uh, to Vegas with dad for his 50th? Oh uh, yes. Okay. I, yeah. Uh, we went to the El Cortez. Um, yeah, yeah. Old town we, we Vegas. May- we may, we may have mentioned this briefly in a previous episode, but essentially Chase and I and my dad were there for his 50th birthday. And, you know, we're not too big a party guys, or at least they're not. So we were mostly just, you know, playing some cards, playing some crafts, saw a heater at the El Cortez. As Chase oh, we were on the table for the heater. Uh, like, but yeah. yeah. Like to throw a little endorsement in there for the El Cortez, $5 minimum bet blackjack. It's a good deal. That's right. If you're uh, not looking to lose your behind and or you want to see people that have lost their behind go to the El Cortez (laughs) yeah that's a good way of putting it you know we went we were were playing some cards I think that day like you said we were doing some craps and then uh, we went back to the hotel because we were uh, thinking of getting some dinner and we had a short period of time both of us have always been you know pretty physically active pretty committed to physical fitness in general and we were 
wanted to go to the gym before dinner. Oh, gym was closed. That's right. Gym was closed. Yeah. I don't remember exactly why, but the only thing we could find to do, we, I think we'd already taken pre-workout too. So we were just like, you know what position we're in. If you've ever taken pre-workout, your gears are going. (laughs) Once you've taken pre-workout, you are committed, baby. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there was really no other choice at that juncture, but we managed to find like, uh, service entrance and, uh, you know, service staff who was willing to let us in. And we were, cause we were just looking for stairs to run up because all the stairs there too. It's like it's every, each individual level is locked for the normal, yeah. like you have, yeah. to have a card. So it wouldn't work to do that. So we ran stairs in the, in the service uh, stairwell. I think like, I don't know, hundred stories. I think that was our goal or something. Dude, like that. Good, good call out on this because I need, I needed that because we're about to talk with Jason Yates and share his conversation and his post conversation is difficult for Cyrus and I, because we see so many things differently. We've got to, we found, we have to remind each other that we love each other before and after these conversations so that we can have the conversation in between lovingly and with respect. And, you know, we're all humans. We're all, we're both Americans and this is what we do. And we want to encourage you to do the same. If you don't, if you haven't run stairs with a socialist in a while, Christian, then find your equivalent, you know what I mean? Or love somebody that's, that's, that's politically different than you. Cause then we get to, we get to talk about that and Jesus and, and good things. Well, happen. Yeah. I mean, it just reminded me of like a time when, you know, I don't know if I even said this to you at the time, but it was just like, I remember running up the stairs and you were letting me blast my like crazy psych metal. Um, and we were just doing our thing. And I was just thinking, man, we're both, uh, we're both pretty weird. You know, Chase and I certainly chose very different paths, but they, they led to radically different places than I think most um, of mainstream sources will lead you to. And that's what this conversation with Jason kind of reminded me of, too, is just how Christianity and socialism in their best forms, in their most, I don't want to say pure because he's the judge of that, but in their most based forms uh, are counterculture. Yeah, um, good. I like that. Um, yes. And so that, yeah, it was just interesting. But I mean, we got into some really tough conversations, as you said, but I think, you know, we'll, we'll hit on that a lot in a, a second recap episode, I think, as we decided, because there's so much to get into. In the meantime, I hope you really enjoy our interview with Jason and Chase, anything else? Yeah, final lead in. I, I met Jason because I somehow got on his organization's distro, probably, you know, information sharing or something. And (laughs) I just reached out to the info email address saying that, Hey, I think as a Christian to be more involved politically, man, it's frustrating. And I'm confused. I literally just replied to the, to the intro email and said, I don't know if I want to advocate for more, you know, constitutional Supreme court justices. I don't know if I want to do some of these things because some of the ways in which I believe I, a family should be run or a government should be run. I don't think I want to force on other people and I'm confused. And I kind of put together what was, I thought an eloquent email and none other, but Jason, the CEO replied said, Hey boy, that was really well lit. I would like to talk more about it because some of those I'm confused on, or I'm working through myself. And, you know, he has some strong convictions that Christians should vote and that we should do our best to, to vote biblical values. But you know what? That started a series of coffees of him driving 45 minutes and me driving about the same, you know, over probably six months, us trying to figure each other out and him trying to encourage me to uh, work through some of these things. So, you know what, whether you agree or disagree, I really appreciate the CEO just replying to, 
you know, an info re- reply and saying, yeah, man, like th- those are tough questions. Let, let me help. So, yeah. And in much the same on. way, you know, I think that's what this is all about is a lot of points during this conversation. I really struggled to keep my mouth closed, but at the end of the day, I appreciate him being able to engage with us and, and really get his perspective out there so that we can actually do something work with that. Because if people don't communicate their ideas in a way that's actually accurate, then you're not really, you're talking around each other. So I don't think we need to intro anymore. Without any further ado, Jason Yates. All right, Cyrus, excited for our uh, next guest. Boy, culturally a big impact. And so are you as excited as I am? Yes, back in the saddle again. I think our, uh, our listeners are going to get a little bit of whiplash given the varying perspectives we've had over the last few weeks. But this is just going to be another that I think will really help us kind of round out a little bit of our perspective. Absolutely. So today we have Jason Yates the CEO of My Faith Votes, played a larger part in the Christian voter turnout this last election and hopefully won in some elections to come. Jason, welcome to Cross of Gold, sir. Jay Cyrus, it is great to be with you and I'm looking forward to a good and um, challenging and uh, energetic conversation. Yeah, you came to the right place then. (laughs) Jason, so you know what I, I'd mentioned a little bit in the intro, you reached out to me to help me work through some of these questions, man, almost uh, nine, 12 months ago, and I'm proud to have participated a little bit in my faith votes this, this last election cycle. Can you uh, back up, maybe tell us the mission of my faith votes and how it came to be? And so for some of the listeners on the left or the right who've never heard of it, what, what's, what's my faith votes about? Yeah, let me start with our founder, who is an attorney. He's a literary agent, and he represents uh, Christian authors in their publishing. And he represents Dr. Ben Carson. And in working with Dr. Carson, uh, he had learned that there were 25 million Christians who were registered to vote in 2012, and they didn't vote. They sat on the sidelines, and he was really amazed and, frankly, appalled because of that. Um, He's a man who has lived out his Christian life in every aspect of his life, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's in his community, and he could not imagine that there would be someone who would say, nope. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bring the influence of my faith into something that has such great impact on the world around us. And I'm out. And that kind of apathy was just confusing to him. And he said, we got to do something about this. And out of that birthed a concept called My Faith Votes. And I was asked to come alongside and give daily leadership to it um, as the CEO So I left uh, almost 25 years of uh, corporate world in in the financial services industry and joined My Faith Votes as a CEO, and that was in late 2015, and we've been running ever since. So Jason, what about like the mission of My Faith Votes drew you out of the financial sector? Because I'm sure that's probably more lucrative than working for a Christian, a faith voting nonprofit. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, you know, and, and uh, 
you know, your point is well taken. The the um, motivation for me personally was not the um, financial return on it because that just wasn't there. But it was the idea. I always wanted to be a part of an organization that was doing great things, um, a smaller organization where I could really feel like the um, skills and abilities that I've uh, the experiences that I've had over my life that I could bring that to bear. And, and frankly, I've really enjoyed bringing business acumen to a startup nonprofit organization. Um, but the mission is to motivate and equip Christians to vote. We often say, Cyrus, that we want to help Christians do three things. To pray, we believe that uh, in elections especially, but in every circumstance, that our primary pursuit is to seek the face of God in prayer. So the first thing is to pray. The second is to think. Think biblically about what's happening, about issues. Discern what is happening wisely. And we want to help people do that. And then thirdly is to act. And in our case, the primary action is voting. Um, now, that's not the only way that people can take action, and, and it's one way to bring the influence of our faith into the culture and the community around us, but it is a way, and it's a meaningful way. And so um, we've uh, done a lot, and we've brought a lot of tools, resources, and even individuals who have some level of if you will, influence or authority in the topics and, you know, brought that to bear. And we've, we believe we've had um, some good success. It's a journey and we're, we're on our way. We're not there. We have lots of work to do. Jason, oh boy, lots, lots of questions here. <laughs> and so maybe your late entry or recent entry into politics into Christian voters in politics uh, might give you a unique perspective, particularly the last quarter century being in financial services. How did you find Christians in politics? Was there a ton of engagement? Was there just, is it, was there a lack of organization? Was there folks going in different ways? I guess I'm just trying to, interested in your first interpretations of the political situation when you really started yeah. working with Christians in My Faith Votes. Well, I think um, as I've gotten into it, so I've not been heavily involved in politics before this. I've I've been concerned. I've been I've been informed about what's been happening, but I have not been um, on the campaign trail. I haven't been um, you know rallying people to vote in the past. Uh, you know, I I I don't attend. Uh, I haven't attended political rallies, things like that. But I do have a passion about people living out their faith. And, um, and so when we started getting going, I think one of the things that we found in particular was that it was, first of all, sad indeed to see that there was a lot of apathy. Um, there were a lot of Christians who were saying, you know, I'm too busy, I don't care, my vote doesn't matter, or my choice is bad no matter what. And therefore, 
if I cast a vote, I'm casting it for evil no matter what, and therefore I just am not going to do it. And so what I found was a lack of discernment, not even so much discernment, but just an inability to really know how do I connect my faith to this thing called politics. There's this huge wide chasm, this this void between the two, and people just didn't know how to address it. And I think that was where we tried to start in saying, how can we help people understand why it's essential for them to do so? I appreciate that. And so you said a couple of things that are ringing true. You said <laughs> the inability to know how to connect faith to politics. That's certainly something that I've been wrestling with and, 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 and working my way through. And then the Pray, Think, Act. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the things that My Faith Votes does to equip Christians to vote or be involved or to be aware? Well, first, I, you know, we're trying to dispel some, some myths. I think there's a lot of myths out there. I think, and I'll say the enemy, I know not all of your listeners um, probably is, um, adhere to the Christian faith, but if I say the enemy, I, I have a worldview, a Christian worldview, that there is evil, that there is a, um, there is a Satan um, that is coming against us. And I think he operates in lies, in deceit and deception. And so I think there's a lot of deception out there that Christians are buying into. And I think there's one in particular that says there's a separation of church and state. Now, that's a phrase that I even said to a pastor friend of mine as I was having lunch with him, I said, did you know that's not anywhere in our nation's documents. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. And he was shocked. He said, no. And I said, no, it's absolutely true. The separation of church and state was part of a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to a Baptist group about the importance of their faith in politics and the reason for the the reason to keep government out of the church and i think there's been an effort to squash christians in their beliefs by reiterating this mantra that there's this separation that faith plays no role in our government and that is not true. You know, I often say that we all have a religion. Maybe it's a religion of self. Maybe it's a religion of some other spirituality. Maybe it's a religion of some other ism that, that we believe. But we all bring our values to the, the decisions we make every day. And so Christians have to be a part of that as much as those who are atheists bring their values to voting as well. And so, Chase, you asked the question, you know, what are some of the things we've been doing? You know, it's just exposing some of those myths, some of the things that we, we had to address root causes of why people don't vote and why Christians don't and help them see 
um, no, their faith does have something essential to contribute. And as Galatians 6.10 says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially those of the faith. And we've always said voting is an opportunity to do good. And so don't leave that lying on the sideline. It's not just good for the Christian community. It's good for everyone. And so that's some of what we've been trying to communicate and um, share with the Christian community. Yeah, it's interesting you you bring that example up specifically, Jason, because I I feel like for, you know, someone who's obviously probably very different from you politically and um, spiritually, I, I also I couldn't agree with you more in the sense that there isn't a separation between church and state. And like the fact that people like uh, for coming at it from the other side, I would say that there's the idea that there isn't a separation between church and state is just as much of a deception to, you know, people who might think that there, there is a separation between church and state, you know, that like, yeah, it's, it, those things cannot be separated because I mean, half of the people who make up the Congress and, or, make up the bureaucracy or whoever else. Like, I mean, I I don't know the exact percentage of Americans who are Christians or Americans who are religious in general, but if the fabric of our political uh, ferment is made up by religious people, then it's not really going to be a separation of church and state at the end of the day. Right. And Jason, go ahead. I was just going to say, Cyrus, on that point, you know, where I see the, you know, that belief system where it's, it's impacting Christians who are buying into that and they're buying into it saying, well, I guess I, you know, Christians should not engage in politics. In fact, I've talked to many that even say, no, Christians shouldn't even vote. And that's just beyond me. I don't, I don't understand it. It's just like our founder who, who couldn't understand it himself. I, I, I take your point, but just as, a, as one to play devil's advocate a little bit on that, I, I'm not a Christian anymore, but I could see from a Christian's perspective, kind of like you said, especially in national politics, you know, looking at the last presidential election, that neither of those people represented their values. Sure. And, sure. you know, it's maybe a good time to ask, Jason, because you mentioned a few times everybody. And just a blunt question is, are you concerned with Christians writ large, whether they're registered Republicans or Democrats, or are you looking at particular types of Christians to get them to the polls? Who does like sort of my faith votes focus on? Well, what I would say is we are nonpartisan. What we try and do, Chase, is talk about uh, biblical principles. And we do believe that uh, the Bible is true, and we try and help people understand what are some core sets of principles or values that we can agree upon and leverage in our decision-making as we cast votes. And so not everyone's going to see the world the same way, and that's why I love the God that we serve, because he has created people with different passions and different um, characteristics and different experiences. And I think that in that way, he has put concerns for what's happening in our world um, in different people and, and given them the assignment to represent those concerns. And that's why it's important. Everyone goes to the poll and votes because they've been given a set of experiences um, 
Now, their challenge in their role is to properly filter those through a biblical lens and understand what is happening by what the Bible says. And so if they can successfully do that, then I think they're really honoring God in how they approach their vote, how they approach everything they do every day. I appreciate so, that. And I asked that question a little leadingly, just because um, I sent out with my wife and some neighbors and some other you know, friends and Bible study folks, a few thousand postcards for my faith votes. And just as a small testimony, they were going to folks in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, to rural Nevada, to Detroit, Michigan, of all seemingly different ethnicities. And so it, and I had asked Jason and some of the volunteer coordinators, like, are, are we focusing on anybody in particular or just Christians who haven't voted? And the answer was Christians who haven't voted. And so I felt a little bit more emboldened to be like, okay, you know what? I was writing on these postcards please vote how the Lord leads you or, you know, please vote these biblical values. And so Cyrus, I know you were probably chomping at the bit to ask some questions, but I'm also interested in, you know, he'd mentioned Christian worldview, biblical values. Where do you want to go with that? Yeah. Well, I was just going to, before we get fully into that, I, I know that you, you, you part of your mission statement of the organization is a, as not as a nonpartisan organization. Do you feel like there's any outside perception that, you know, given that, your sort of public facing politicians that represent the organization, Dr. Ben Carson, uh, former governor, Mike Huckabee, that the outside perception is that it is a partisan institution or a partisan. Yeah, organization. yeah I, w- I would say there are a number of people who do look at it that way. Um, you know, what we have tried to do is bring voices of a number of different leaders um, and including some who are, clearly um, Democrats. And so I, I remember a great conversation with Michael Ware. Michael was part of the Obama White House and um, part of the faith engagement group, if you will, um, in the White House. And um, just um, a really challenging conversation with him I mean, challenging to me um, to really think about how we can do a better job even thinking through and about issues that are more democratic than you might say Republican. Um, I would say that my, you know, I'll just say for myself, I probably have voted more conservatively over the years, but I don't vote down ticket, you know, party lines. So, but yes, Cyrus, we probably are perceived that way. I think when you look at some of the polls that show that more than 80% of evangelical Christians um, vote Republican versus Democrat, I think that just falls a little bit along the, the perception of the values that the parties uphold. You know, just last week, I think it was, there was a, another attempt, this time in the Senate, to Um, require any facility, any medical person or or, um, agency that is performing an abortion to provide life-saving procedures to a baby that's born alive during an abortion procedure. Um, And, you know, this is not the first time, but once again, that was um, voted against, and every single vote against um, was uh, a Democrat. 
And so I think there's a number of people who look at things like that, where we value life, we, we believe in life at inception. And so hard to understand what should be an issue that we all agree upon clearly is not. And there's um, certainly more politics associated with it. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that, that's a good opportunity for us to get into then kind of more of your definition of what, how Christians should vote in terms of their biblical values or, or yeah. kind of what that means to have a biblical worldview. Because, you know, Chase and I were having this conversation off, off mic yesterday. You know, we were talking about like the, the right to life being a fundamental, like the most fundamental of American rights, uh, supposedly. But, you know, in Dallas, where we just were, there's people without power because yeah. the local government sold off all of their power grid to corporations and those corporations weren't able to facilitate the power grid in a, in a catastrophe are do those people have the right to life right now so i i feel like yeah so that's just a good opportunity then kind of what what do you see as being the prime biblical values that that christians should vote on yeah well i think um to your point uh right to life and i like to think of it as dignity of every human life because every life has dignity and i think every because of its dignity there's a right to life um, and god gives us that right not government and so when we think about human dignity you are absolutely right the homeless the the convict who's let out of jail the um the the poor um the, the old, the infirmed, all have dignity, all have rights to life. And there are a myriad of issues that are before us every single day that we need to wrestle with and say, how do we uphold those? But I would say to you, Cyrus, that I think sometimes that's a red herring, you know, where we say, okay, what about all of this? I mean, you know, so your example um, about uh, power, Yes, and someone made a decision around that. Probably someone made some decisions without any real foreknowledge of something like this happening, though they probably knew there was chances of this type of thing happening and such. I don't know how many people have died in Texas or other places where they've had power outages, and I'm sure there have been a handful. But I would tell you there are 800,000 abortions every single year. So I think when we look at, for the Christian, they, they just look at the one example where we say, if we truly believe this about the value of life, man, let's solve this. This is so clear what we can do. And there's all these other issues and there's lots of other things we can be doing around those other issues. And we don't want to lay those aside and say they're not worthy of our attention. But man, there's a whole lot that I, I put this at the feet of both parties. Both parties have controlled the entire federal government at different times. And yet this continues to be an issue and abortion still continues in our land and frankly continues to expand. And so um, both parties, I think, are guilty of not giving full attention and um, living up especially to Republicans living up to their promises. On some Jason, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. And I want to hear you elaborate a little bit more on some of the, the biblical worldviews and, and values. Yeah. But, you know, one of these threads I've been thinking through, and we just had a conversation with Julia Clare, and I was asking her, and she's a socialist feminist, 
believes in reproductive rights, but also believes in sort of the inequalities of opportunity that can that contribute to higher abortions in different times and periods. And mm -hmm. I found myself going, if I'm really against abortion, then and if we have the means to provide like a universal health care in a myriad of different ways or universal child care, even something that I previously considered immoral, like the provision of universal contraceptives, if that can contribute to lower abortions, then I'll be for it. And I'm not saying, and, and you know, one of the things that I had asked her was if these things were on the table, would you be willing to consider uh, restrictions on abortions? And long story short, there's a prolonged conversation, yeah. but like, I guess that's part of what we're trying to explore here is, are there any kind of intersections and in belief that sometimes get muddied because we both believe things so passionately? Do you think there's room for Christians to give on things like social policies in order to negotiate more abortion restrictions? Yeah. Uh Man, I, I, it's really unfortunate how we live in a situation. It's just the reality, right, that we have to negotiate on one issue in order to gain in another issue, or that there's such tribalism that we can't even have a discussion um, or a debate about anything and and get um, pro and have progress on those. Um, so, you know, I. I I don't want to deal in hyperboles or, or um, examples. Yeah. Hypotheticals. Thank you. That's what I was looking for because I second to get there too. I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't know, you know, so I can't say that chase one way or the other because it's hypotheticals and very broad hypotheticals. But what I would say to you is I, I really pray for the day when we can have, when we can sit down and maybe just like we're doing today and have conversations where not all of us believe the same thing, but we can seek to understand each other. And, and I pray for that in our government as well, um, because until that happens, uh, we aren't going to make progress. We're going to continue to see party line votes on just about everything that happens. Well, I think that's, you know, part of at least the broad liberal left's immediate aversion to restrictions on abortion or reproductive rights is because the alternative, I guess, some of these issues that you that seem so one sided, so wedge based, like abortion or like universal health care, something along those and rights, immigration, a couple of yeah, them. Yeah, even though I do think things like, you know, universal health care would go a long way towards limiting the amounts of abortions in this country. And of course, like we sort of started off the beginning of this conversation, all interest groups use certain things as cudgels. If your goal is not to convince people first that abortion is wrong or that, you know, that there should be certain distinctions or, or discriminations made, then as Christians, it's sort of, I think the broad liberal left sees that as you're using that as a weapon against us, a political weapon. That's not coming from, you know, like you're just trying, you're not trying to convince us this is right. You're just trying to enforce this over all the rest of us when the reality is the broad majority of Americans believe that there should be, you know, some availability for abortion or reproductive yeah. Uh, yeah. liberty for women. Well, I think, it, you know, there are certain things that, you know, we just look at and, you know, taking a human life, um, you know, there is something on the, the law books, uh, you know, that says you can't kill somebody. And so I think that, that example is just one that 
we believe there there needs to be law and order around that. But um, you know, you asked a question around biblical worldview and you yeah. know other issues. We've been talking about life for a while, but let me just hit on some others because I think these are just principles that I think we want to guide people, Christians, to really think about as they vote. You know, one is freedom. Uh, you know, in the Bible it's clear how God wants to set us free, that there's um, a concept of being enslaved to things that have control over you, and that's not good. And so freedom, especially in the way of religious freedom, um, the freedom to worship God the way that uh, we believe we're, we're called to and intended to, um, and freedom in our beliefs. One of the things I think we're seeing more of lately is not just people concerned about religious and specifically Christian representations in the government through symbols, through um, and commandments, stuff like that, etc. Yep, Ten Commandments prayer in school, things like that. But I think we're seeing more and more of coming against Christian beliefs and saying the beliefs are wrong and and condemning us um, Christians for those beliefs. I was really sad to read some stories about what happened in early January on the Capitol and some reporters saying, at the heart of those things were Christian beliefs. And I have no idea where that reporter was coming from because I saw nothing about what happened on the, on the Capitol as anything representing Christian beliefs. So um, Jason, yeah, just on that point, cause this is one I've been challenging myself on and, and some of the folks, you know, in Bible studies I'm a part of, I think I, I, I similarly read an article, I think it was USA Today, talking about Christian nationalism being mm. you know, the greatest threat to the country, something like that. And take that article as paint on the wall, almost then between us Christians, um, I'm wondering, do I make an idol of the American flag? Like, do I mm. get angry for reasons other than just this sort of patriotism and respect for those who have died to defend that flag when I see it burned or when I see other things like to the point, like my, my American freedom or my, my American identity is like, you know, that's a, a God in some sense to me. I want to separate what you said from, we should vote for freedom and a biblical freedom to express our values and respect others to do that sort of thing. Do you think that that freedom ever becomes, I think lack of a better word, like an idol for us or a God? Yeah, I, I absolutely do believe that. Earlier um, in this interview, you asked me what are some of the things I'm seeing, um, you know, as I've entered my faith votes. And sadly, I do see a lot of Christians who are holding up their um, allegiance to our nation or their allegiance to a party, and more so, I would say, to the party as an idol. It's unfortunate. I've seen uh, myself and my faith votes really challenged because we've dared to express something a little different than, say, one party or the other might believe. And um, so 
I know that that's rampant. I know that um, that is something that Christians really need to look at and confess if indeed that exists in their lives. You know, one thing that I think sort of really sealed my initial interest in my faith votes, I was expressing to you some frustration that Christians seem to be piled into this religious right establishment. And then you countered, I think, with Psalm 8914, which is paraphrasing the foundation of God's throne is established by righteousness and justice. And you said, oh, one party seems to think they've got the corner on righteousness, the other on justice, and they probably neither really do. And I, I, I liked that, I guess. So I've got you saying dignity to life, freedom, uh, certainly a set of family values. What do you think? Family, and I would say there's just others, you know, um, I think there's one of personal accountability and there's a work ethic. There's others that I could say around debt. You know, we look at right now the, the debt of our nation. The Bible speaks a ton about debt and how the, the, um, uh, the debtor will be servant to the lender. You know, frankly, our nation's becoming a servant to other nations we're lending money from. Um, you know, personal debt in the in the nation is is outrageous. And frankly, there's a lot of financial institutions and corporations who aren't being very responsible with the way they do things. So there's principles like that, a work ethic, etc., that we need to abide by. And so we take these principles and we say, okay, what is the best we can do from laws, from order that um, will create a just and frankly a righteous society that is good for all. And that's what I think the responsibility of the Christian is, is to really say, okay, if we believe that God is an authority over his creation and that his laws and his principles are best for what he has created, it's our responsibility to understand what those principles are and to stand for them in the public square in the best ways we know how. I definitely think we should uh, revive the tradition of the debt jubilee. Yeah. I think yes. <laughs> I think so, that's, a, that's a good call. <laughs> I'm spoken like a socialist, Iris. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I understand you to be saying, Jason, that we need to be uh, reading scripture, praying over the principles and sort of trying to discern those, thinking about them, um, and then acting or voting in ways in which we can create a society or, 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 or voting, acting those values. So maybe you can help us here. Cause like, you know, for a time I would have considered myself pretty hardcore libertarian. I don't now, um, but there's some folks out there that would challenge, Hey, I believe this, um, or I believe what's in the Bible, but I don't believe every, everyone else should abide by it civically. For lack of a better you know, framing, what would you say to, to that person or that Christian, whatever they may be? The, the question I, I would put is, on what authority are they making that decision? Are they choosing and saying, I'm right, and how I interpret uh, the Bible is right? And I just, you know, and I don't say that in a threatening way. Uh, it's, a, it's a legitimate question of, you know, really consider on what authority are you making those kind of decisions? And are you making an idol of yourself by saying, 
I believe because it fits better with me and who I am? Or are you saying, I believe this because I believe that's truly who God is and, and what he has called us to do and, and how to behave and act? I think sometimes we, especially as Americans, I think we live a, a gospel that is comfortable and that we want to live in a way that benefits us in the best way possible. And we need to check our beliefs and really challenge ourselves to say, okay, am I believing this because this is what I want for myself? Or am I believing this because this is what God wants of me? I appreciate that too. And an example for me, as I interpret you saying that is, if let's set up some, you know, hypothetical, and I know you warned me against these, but there's a situation in which maybe it's a local state, something pretty clearly defined, hey, we're going to put an X percent tax on this to solve this problem or stop this evil. And there's a probably a good discussion of whether that could be handled better publicly or privately. I shouldn't have a knee jerk. No, you shouldn't be raising my taxes for that. Because I believe in that principle, I need to really think about it, pray about it, and then act on that kind of discernment, not based on maybe a platform of, you know, less government, but let's see what God says about it. Or less money that I have to pay. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's better. Less money out of my pocket, sort of. Yeah, yeah. I want to get to one of the heart issues here. Uh, A little secret we have here at Cross of Gold. Uh, We don't tell a a number of people because it'll scare them, but Cyrus is a socialist. And so um, is, is, is he evil or are his, 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 are his beliefs evil? You know, what do, because if you listen to Fox or, you know, sometimes it sure sounds like that. So how do, how should a Christian voter be thinking about socialism, biblically, that sort of thing? Well, let me just say this. I, I don't believe, you know, um, governments like in Denmark or um, Sweden, you know, that those are, evil. But let's talk about the principles, right, um, that underlie those governments. And, and frankly, let's look, and I think we have to ask ourselves, why isn't the Christian church vibrant in those societies? Because it's not. And so, you know, what I want to do is look at principles that build to religious freedom and vibrancy in, in uh, the practice of um, faith and um, so one of those, um, first of all, I think, you know, Christians are really tempted to look at socialism and they look at Acts chapter two. And in, I think it's uh, verse 44 and 45, it says something like all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing it to distributing the proceeds to everyone. Um, Sounds socialist. Right. And, and so I think if you look at that, you say, whoa, the Bible says, hey, this is a, this is a call towards socialism. Um, but I think we need to deconstruct that just a little bit and understand really what was going on. First of all, I think it's really important, and this is a critical factor, they weren't coerced. It says they were giving freely 
So, you know, when God calls us to um, salvation, when Jesus calls us to salvation, it's not coerced. It's not to say, you know, you will come to me and you will do this. God doesn't call us to love him out of coercion. He could have made us to be, you know, righteous followers of him in all that we do. But instead, he prioritizes love. And in prioritizing love, it puts a decision to choose to love. Um, And I think in this society, and I'm going back to what it says in the book of Acts, the early church, right after Christ ascended into heaven, after he had died on a cross and you had the early church, these things were happening, but it was freely happening because people were choosing. I I mentioned Galatians 6.10 earlier in um, in the podcast. They were choosing as they had opportunity to do good to each other. And I think that's a critical difference versus a society that says, the government says to every citizen, you will give us 60% of what you earn so that we can determine the good and that we can distribute um, and that everyone is then made equal. Um, And I don't think equality in the sense of what we own and what we possess and so forth is either. That's not biblical either. Um, There were lots of examples of those who had and did not have based on blessings God had given for different reasons. I'm not a prosperity gospel guy, um, but I do believe that God does bless individuals with more because they have a heart to do more and a vision to do more with what they have. Um, so just to clarify now, one point real quick, yeah. Jason, uh, in terms of that, just cause I, I, I'm sure that that's, I think that is typically how socialism is represented uh, to most people, but yeah. I would all, and this might, you know, this might get me in trouble with some socialists, but I would say that socialism is not about equality. Um, and it's not about, the you will be eaten by your own Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Well, I, I would just agree that I think, you know, equality, actual equality is impossible because we're all born right. differently into different situations, yep. different fa- It's It's just not something that is conceivably truly possible in a material sense, in my opinion. Uh, but what socialism is about, or the, the principles that undergird it, is more about the redistribution of suffering so that those who are born into situations that are much more advantageous and privileged than others don't get to live a life, you know, completely free of suffering of any material alienation in any way, while the vast majority of the world's population lives with all the suffering. So you're Cyrus, uh, you're saying like, you know, like uh, you look at, I think I've heard you say before, you look at it as a bit immoral that there are so many multi-billionaires and so many poor. I mean, yeah. When three families in the world own more wealth than the bottom half I, I think that if the system that undergirds that, I don't think can be seen as anything but immoral or coercive, personally. Like at the very beginning of capitalism, the craftsmen, artisans, uh, the peasants in rural England that lived on the commons in the way that they had for, for centuries by that point were kicked off their land by people fencing it off 
and coerced to work in the factories for food. Uh, before then, they could grow their own food. Uh, you know, they, they had simple lives and it wasn't that great. Uh, you know, it definitely was a far cry from what we experience today. But that was the beginning of capitalism was coercion, the slaves in the southern colonies. You know, that was the engine of capitalism. Nothing, right. not much, not, and not anything much more coercive than that. And Jason, if I understand what you've been saying, you're saying that um, the system, at least, and the principles that, and the outcomes it could lead to giving a body politic, particularly one that is governed by the majority, which we all know to be potentially tyrannical, um, and letting them define how much to give and redistribute to what they define as good can be really bad for whatever minority it is in time. And it's just uh, on principle, the system seems unwise. Yeah, I think, you know, what we're talking about is potentially where, where is the power struggle? And I think with socialism, the power struggle is with um, the government. Um, and what the government chooses is what happens. Um, in capitalism, you might say that it's, it's in the corporation and the few individuals, um, uh, and that's where the power resides. Um, but I would just say that, you know, America has been a capitalist society. It's one of the most generous uh, countries that has ever been. Um, and um, you don't see the same type of outcomes um, from some of the socialist economies. Um, but more than that, I would say, when I just look at how I perceive that God has established order and authority I think he's done it at different levels. He's intentionally established, you know, that we are to have governance, self-governance. We are to have, there's a governance and authority with the family, and there's a governance and authority with the church. And then above that is a governance and authority of true government, you know, um, civic Render government. Render Caesar what is Caesar's. And what's happened is in our apathy, even in our families and in our churches and such, we've abdicated some of the responsibilities mm. that have been laid on each of those levels. And so as you abdicate self-governance, you put more um, owner, uh, onerous um, uh, responsibility on the family, on the church. As the family doesn't do its job, it tries to put things more at the church for the church to take responsibility. I know a lot of families that just, you know, oh, it's my, my church's job to teach my kids about God, about the Bible, you know? Um, we abdicate those responsibilities. And as the church and the family have abdicated responsibilities, either in how we take care of the orphans, how we take care of the poor, etc. Now all that's moved upstream even more to the government. And I would say that ideally, you move that back down to where the responsibilities really should lie. And what you end up with is not a socialist government. Now, 
Cyrus, you may say to me, well, we got to take us where we're at today and figure out the best solutions for where we're at today. Um, but I still, you know, I need to look at the fruit. Yeah, I mean, I think and, you would probably in the same way you would think that my vision of the future is pretty unrealistic, even to get there, or, you yeah. know, much less to, for it to succeed. I would also say that's fairly unrealistic, because of just the conditions of American life, the materialism and consumerism that's just run rampant in our culture and in our brains. Um, and just an overall selfishness that's that's really taken root. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, um, in my perception of what's been happening, um, the further that the values of the church get from even public life, the more chaos, the more degradation in society I see. And I believe that um, it, it comes to, we've got to have more influence. It's why my faith votes exist, right? We've got to have more influence um, to say what we believe is essential. And yeah, what would you say um, is now, the true risk of, of like, say there's no my faith votes, there's no Christians advocating trying to get Christians to influence? What, what is the risk of Christians abdicating that civic responsibility? Great question. Yeah, yeah um, lies. Um, I, I started out earlier saying how we, we um, we run in a world filled with deception. And I think, you know, um, our, our society today is believing more and more a lot of lies around where to find love, where to find compassion, where to find um, stability, where to find um, health. And um, so I think as Christians become more apathetic as Christians choose not to engage the risk of all of that happening is that we start to run to things that don't provide lasting value. And um, because we believe, because we've been told that it does, and we go to these things that don't satisfy and so, and don't help, um, you know, they're not helpful. And I know that sounds sort of like a spiritual answer and not, you know, specific to the question, but I think it is true. I heard you say, Jason, that some of the primary risks for Christians to withdraw are more lies and more biblical value sort of being taken out of society and all the follow-on collateral damage consequences that one can imagine from that. Is that about right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, at the heart of it, I believe that's true. Thank you very much. Cyrus, you know what? I've seen you gnawing at your knuckles a few different times, so we've both been polite. This is wonderful. You know what, Jason, thank you very much. We're really trying to push um, a unity through just, you know, I know you, Cyrus, uh, knows you through me. I know that you really are doing these things because you love your country, you love your family, and you love your fellow citizens. And because of that, we can have a discussion about things we disagree without hating each other, which is proof that this can be done more than once. So um, I, I definitely appreciate it. Cyrus, Jason, anything else? Yeah, Jason, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you, uh, you know, being so open and honest with us and, and uh, giving us an insight into your organization. And I look forward to... Uh, to hashing this out with Chase. All right. Thanks for the robust conversation. Thanks for having me on.
Thanks for listening this far. We're going to get post-game analysis in our second conversation. You'll also hear a little bit about what Cyrus and I are watching and reading and a smidge of the current events in part two. We just want to be respectful with your time. Uh, the next episode, though, is going to be uh, lit on fire for, for both of us. So we love you. Cyrus, I love you. And you know what? Let, don't forget, love the people you're serving. Absolutely. Love you too, Chase. And I hope uh, you'll tune in for the part two. But principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.